Well, good morning. I'm James Henry, and I'm the pastor here at St. James, and I welcome you and my welcome to Linda's. One of the things we like to do fairly near the beginning of worship is just take a moment to let go of all the things that maybe we brought in with us to the time of worship. Now, that's whether you're in the room with us or you're in your own room somewhere else. There are so many things that we carry with us. And one of those things, and we're going to talk about this this morning as a part of the message, is comparisons. Uh, so often we spend our time comparing ourselves to others, and in so doing, we end up finding ourselves um, wanting, wishing more, for more, or glad that we don't have or aren't like the other in some particular way. Well, today I want us to practice a, a practice that I'm convinced Jesus must have had, and that is to let go of the comparisons. At no point on his journey did Jesus say, I wish I were like so-and-so, uh, because Jesus was Jesus. And what God really wants is not for you to pretend to be Jesus, but for you each to be you and model your life after following in the path of Jesus whose path was to be himself, who he was. Uh, his name, Jesus' name in Hebrew, Joshua, means salvation. And he lived the message that all of us can be saved, that all of us matter, that all of us could be seen and heard. And those are important things that when we compare ourselves, get lost. So I'm going to take a moment, and as we breathe, I want you to think of any comparisons that you're making um, uh, even now. I wish I had a cool fleece that said St. James on it like James does. Just let that go. It's not all that. Uh, it does keep me a little warmer on a Sunday morning. You know, whatever you're wishing you had or however you're wishing you were like or glad that you're unlike something else, just let that go. So as we breathe in, let go of that breath. And as we let it go, let go of the things that you use to compare yourself. The color of your skin, your economic well-being or not, your level of education, um, the clothes you have, the possessions you have, the title you have, the name you have, any of those things that makes you compare, let them go. As you breathe in and out, catch yourself periodically, especially in those moments when you wish you were like or you are glad you were not like something or someone else. And when you catch those moments, let your outward breath be a letting go of the comparisons, a letting go of what is. This week uh, is Palm Sunday in the church. 
as Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, he is compared to David, the king who slaughtered all the enemies of Israel, who took Jerusalem and made it the seat of God, who consolidated all the tribes. And Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus, unlike David, comes in mild on a donkey with palm branches laid at his feet. But I suspect the people looked at Jesus and compared him to David. Is he going to lead the rebellion that kicks the Romans out of town? Is he going to reclaim our rightful lands and our rightful faith? Is he going to be that person? And uh, that comparison meant that they couldn't always see Jesus for who he was. Because instead of seeing Jesus as Jesus, they saw Jesus as another David, or Jesus as another Moses, or Jesus uh, uh, as John the Baptizer, as John, as, as Elijah calling for the arrival of Jesus. All those comparisons, while sometimes flattering, leave us, leave us wanting. Because then we can't see the other for who they are. We see them for who they're not. What is it about Jesus that's not like David? What is it about Jesus that's not like Moses? What is it about Jesus that's not like Adam? Instead of, what is it about Jesus that's Jesus? What is it about Jesus that's Jesus? Now, when I look back on on my life and ministry, my life as a whole. One of the things I'm often struck by in my, uh, in my life is how many times I found myself comparing myself to someone else. When I looked out in the world, when I um, looked at other churches, other pastors, that comparison, that judgment Oh, I'm a better preacher than they are. Oh, I'm a better teacher than they are. Oh, I'm a better leader than they are. Oh, I'm a more handsome guy than they are. Whatever it is, all those comparisons didn't lead me down any happy paths in my relationship to God. They only led me to a place where I was judging someone else. Comparisons are not the call of Christianity. Judgment is not the call of us in the Christian faith. So I wanted to read to you this morning some words that Jesus had about judgment. Again, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are uh, in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And we're beginning with verse 1. Don't judge, or you yourself will be judged. Your judgment on others will be the judgment you receive. The measure you use will be used to measure you. 
why do you look at the splinter in your neighbor's eye and never see the board in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, let me remove the splinter in your eye when the whole time there's a two by four in your own? Hypocrite. Remove the board from your own eye first. Then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the splinter from your neighbor's eye. This is the gospel for this morning. Praise be to God. One of the things we learn to do earliest in our lives, one of the important things we're told that we have to do is to learn to recognize we're not our primary caregiver. You know, when we're first born, we, we think or we feel like we're a part of the other. We've spent somewhere in the neighborhood of nine months in our mother's womb and connected to and provided for by our mother's nutrients and all that good kind of stuff. And then we emerge into the world, are born, uh, they sever the uh, umbilical cord, but we still don't think of ourselves. We don't have the ability as infants to recognize that we are separate, that we are not our mother, that we are not our father, that we are not the one who picks us up and holds us and feeds us and changes our diapers. We do not recognize. All we know is we cry, and the thing that we want eventually happens. Uh, we eventually get the food we want. But first, maybe they check the diaper to make sure the diaper's thing. Or maybe we just want to be held. All of those things. But in all of that, we don't recognize psychologically that we are separate. It takes at least the first few months of our lives and longer for us to begin to recognize or perceive ourselves as separate. Now, the challenge becomes for us then for the rest of our lives as we imagine that we are separate from everyone else we're our own person. We are our own individual, completely other than God, completely other than our neighbor. And we begin to make the comparisons. We perceive ourselves through differentiating from the other. We differentiate perhaps by the color of skin. We differentiate by our economic well-being. We differentiate by our nationality or our religion what tribe we're from, uh, all of those pieces become ways of differentiating. Now, it seems to me that then part of the journey of uh, our faith is we've learned to differentiate. Now, from a healthy place of a differentiated person, I've got to find my way back to recognize that I'm not truly other than you are. I, I see myself in you. And you see yourself perhaps in me. Perhaps it's the negative parts of yourself you see in me. You've ever realized, have you ever realized that the things that usually irritate you the most about someone else, about which you judge them, are the things that you judge yourself most harshly about? The things that come up for you. And the reason why Jesus tells us it's not a comparison game is because the journey of faith, if all we ever do is compare ourselves to other people, we'll always be 
better than someone else. If I compare myself to Adolf Hitler, I'm better than he was, at least in the way I treat my neighbors. But that's not really a very high bar, is it? In fact, it's a very, very low bar. You will always find somebody that by your measure, you are better than. And that's where it comes to the recognition that the journey of faith is not a journey of comparison, it's a journey within. It's a journey to discover that at the sacred core of who each one of us is, we will meet our own weaknesses, our own failures, our own strengths, and know that God loves us and includes all of them. Our brokenness, our woundedness, our sinfulness, our alienation, all of our failures and all of our successes, God loves us, not because of them, but including them. When you trip and fall, God loves you. When you get back up, God loves you. But if you don't get back up, God loves you. This whole comparison game is often about, well, who's going to get the best seat in heaven? Maybe we should just figure out how to treat each other a little better and stop worrying about what the seats in heaven look like. Are they a nice fabric? Are they made of wood? Is there even a seat? Will we have a physical form in this next world to even worry about whether there are seats or not? Or will it simply be that the love that is refined in us will recognize the love that's refined in others and we will feel connected, deeply embedded, not separate from, not compared to, but we'll see our commonalities and be able to love each other unconditionally. The danger of judgment is the way I measure you is the way I get measured. The danger of judgment is to see in you some limitation. Somehow you are not me, and because you're not me, you're less than me. Or just as bad, you are more than me. You see, there aren't any better preachers than me. And there aren't any worse. Because none of them are preaching as me. None of them are James, the preacher. Now, they may have the name James. There are plenty of Jameses in the world. But they can't speak with my voice. So there's no need for me to compare except perhaps to myself. Am I truly speaking to you in my voice? Is this the person God made me to be? And if it is, the truth I speak to you comes from a deep place within me that can't be compared. Is my presentation more interesting than somebody else's? Well, you'll have to figure that out for yourself. But in all honesty, it's not about whether it's interesting or not. It's about whether it's true or not. When I say to you that you... You, you, all of you are infinitely precious to God. Do you believe me? Do you hear the echo of truth in that? You are infinitely precious. 
If there was only you in the universe, God would still have come in person to be with you. That is how important you are, infinitely precious and important to God. And no matter what you do, no matter how good you imagine yourself to be or how bad you imagine yourself to be, you are unconditionally loved. There is nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to separate yourself from God's love. You've already got it. Now, all of this comparison and judgment is to try to figure out if I can get a little bit more of it. I've told this story many times, but both of my children over the years, depending upon who thought they were in favor with me, would say, Hannah would say to me, Dad, you could clearly love Joshua more than you love me. And Joshua would say at various points, Dad, you clearly love Hannah more than you love me. Now, the truth is, I don't think you can measure love in more or less. You can only measure it as different. I can only love Hannah as Hannah, and I can only love Josh as Josh. I don't know that I can love either one more than the other. I love each one of them different than the other. And I would like to believe that in the model of God that I unconditionally love them. I can't imagine anything they would do that would end that love. I cannot imagine anything they would do. But even better than that, see, and I'm already making a comparison, is God. God already knows that God is not going to stop loving you. So instead of having to compare yourself to, oh, well, I'm a little bit better than Bob, not quite as good as Jane, instead of comparing ourselves about who's going to be ahead of us in the line into eternity, whatever that looks like, we can simply rest in the eternal cradling love of a God that holds us forever. And looks lovingly and gazes into each of our eyes, mirroring the truth that we are loved and precious and unique. Every one of us reflects something about God that no one else can reflect. There is not another you in the universe. And no matter how infinite you think the universe is, and it's pretty infinite, it seems to be unfolding forever. We cannot measure how big the universe is. That's what infinite means. Immeasurably big. Or immeasurably something, just immeasurable. Huge. In the midst of all of that, there is no other you. needing to judge somebody who's not you, by what would you compare them? Well, they're not me. Yeah, and? I'm not this floor. Yeah, and? I'm not the table behind me, or the book that's on the table. Yeah, and? I'm me. You're you. And that's a gift. That's a gift. 
If you and I can learn to see ourselves as the gift we are, comparison is no longer necessary. Judgment is no longer necessary. We recognize that in eternity there is only one who can judge. The one who made you and me. Who set the universe in motion. Who dreamed of you before you were born. And that one's judgment of you, the eternal judgment of you is... You are loved unconditionally. You are precious infinitely. You are a unique reflection, a mirror of God that no one else can be. And that's enough. That's enough. No need to compare. I wish I had more. Almost no one says, I wish I had less. Unless it's, you know, our obsession with weight or other kinds of things in our world. I wish I had less weight. Uh, I I wish I were less hungry. I guess those are comparisons. But in this journey of faith, instead of saying Jesus is Jesus because he's not David, because he's not Moses, because he's not Adam... Let Jesus be Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came to reconcile in us what is true about each one of us. We are a unique gift given to the universe, a reflection of God that will never occur again. How will we give that reflection back if we're busy judging everyone else around us. Well, we won't do so good at it. But another side of judging, we won't do so well if we're spending all of our time judging ourselves. I wish I were better. I wish I were kinder. I wish I were more like so-and-so. We spend a lot of time beating ourselves up in this lifetime. I must not be good enough. I must not be smart enough or tall enough, handsome enough. Well, I know I'm handsome enough. But instead of beating ourselves up, recognize that God loves us as we are. And that we can love ourselves as we are. Knowing that in loving and accepting ourselves, we will be transformed. And not just accepting and loving the parts of ourselves that we want everyone to see. Ooh, look at this part. I can preach without notes. I've memorized parts of the Bible. I could repeat it for you out loud right now, word for word. Yes, and... I'm loved whether I can do those things or not. Not because of what I do, but because of who I am. Be who you are. Don't worry about who everybody else is. Learn to be you, the one who is loved as you by God. The one 
who is you in this moment. Hold that place in the universe. Be you as the gift you are. The world would be a much better place for all of us. For all of us. Because we're connected. And I can see aspects of God in each of you that I can't see in myself. And so I celebrate that. Because you're you and I'm me. And that's the beauty of it all. Judgment. Leave it in the hands of the eternal one. For yourself, be you. The you God made you to be. Loved, precious, unique in this universe. A couple of things I want to invite us to be in prayer about uh, today. I told you last Sunday, uh, Walter Crouch, who is the CEO, president, head of Appalachia Service Project, was going in for surgery, had the surgery on Thursday. There have been a series of complications to Walter's recovery. So I want us to keep Walter in our prayers. Um, uh, they've had to you know, go back in a couple of times to fix some leaks and other kinds of things. So let's just keep Walter and his wife Pam and all those who are concerned for Walter in our prayers. I told you um, about uh, Skip, who I uh, saw this week when I was in Johnson City. Uh, Skip, whose son runs on a track team, and you probably read about, uh, or maybe you only heard from me, I don't know, but um, three of the members of the same track team that his son uh, is on were out running. One was killed, one hit by a car, and two were severely injured and are still in the hospital recovering. So I want us to pray. The one who was killed, his name is Eli. And so I want to invite us to be in prayer for Eli's family. It's just not something you expect for the young. I want us to pray for the world we live in. I want us to pray for those who are still struggling because of the cost of living that is rising, inflation. Um, I want us to pray for the people of Ukraine, continue to pray for them. At every twist and turn, there's uh, new attacks, new violence, new atrocities uh, that are happening. I want us to be in prayer for the people of Ukraine. Uh, I learned that one of my colleagues, who is another United Methodist pastor, just when you think that the pandemic is over or whatever, uh, two members of her family have come down with COVID. So it is still out there. Uh, it is still out there. Uh, so uh, being careful, being safe. Uh, I, want us to, I want us to do that if we can, to pray for that. That's enough. I'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. Uh, I will say a few words in the middle, 
I might mention some of the names aloud that I've called. Uh, one more. I just want to not forget this. Yesterday uh, would have uh, was Craig's funeral back in Corpus Christi, Texas. Craig Alvord, uh, his parents uh, went back there, flew back there for his funeral. That's where they were from. So back in Corpus Christi is uh, where he's being buried. Um, so I want us to keep Craig's family in our prayers. A moment of silence. I'll mention the names, hold them in your heart, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together, a version which will be on the screen behind me. Could we enter into a moment of silent prayer together? Loving God, thank you for loving us. For recognizing our preciousness, for making us precious. Help us as we struggle with judging and comparing. I know for myself, I already in the moment of silence had begun to compare today's sermon in my mind with what I hoped it would be and finding fault in the middle of prayer, five minutes after I finished preaching. Oh, Lord, help us, help us. We name before you now some folks and some groups of folks that are on our hearts. Walter, Eli and his family. Skip, Aaron, and all who knew Eli. Craig's family for Doris and Dick, Sonny and all who knew him. the people of Ukraine. All who suffer. We give thanks for the gift of Jesus. The gift of life, his modeling for us. Help us, O oh Lord, when we judge. And now we pray together the prayer Jesus modeled for us himself, saying, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.